Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm lucky once again, and this is a Sunday afternoon treat for me because every two or three weekends in between, Jeff Madoff and I talk about anything and everything. Jeff, I just want to say I'm going through a real lifetime pleasure right at this particular period in time because my original thoughts when I was 18 or 19 years old back in Ohio, I thought that I would like to go into theater. I would like to go into acting and actually explored that for five or six years and had some experience and went to theater school and was employed in entertainment programs, was in the army, and that was my occupation in the army in South Korea. But I realized that that really wasn't it for me. That was it. I, I sort of parked that and went on creating, worked as a copywriter in a big ad agency, BBDO, and then created a new occupation called entrepreneurial coaching in 1974, which I've been busily at for 45 years or so. We were in New York once. You said that you had done a documentary film on a very famous early rock and roll star, Lloyd Price, who I was familiar with because I was born in the 1940s. So I remember the early days of rock and roll and that this had so impressed you that the individual so impressed you and he was still alive and that you actually decided to write a play. You created the scripting of the play based on the knowledge that you had gained from the documentary film, which was very impressive, and that this was now off the ground and this was going to launch and it was going to be a musical, you know, with the destination being a Broadway musical, and you were just at the earliest stages. We met three or four times and we had lunch in New York or we would meet at the conferences that we were both at. And I said, you know, I'd like to really revisit this. I said, you know, it wasn't something that I actually got into in terms of a life commitment, but I still got a great feel in my heart for, you know, what it takes to put on a play. So we've been involved now. You know, we have contributed in a modest way to the coffee that the cast is going to drink over a period of a two years or so. And now we're within a quarter, almost just a season away, March 2nd, I think, in Philadelphia in a regional theater outside Philadelphia. Personality, the name of the play, starts. And you're now getting down to the final moments when you've got to have everybody in their place. You've got to attract the talent now. And you've tested everything. The music's been tested. The choreography's been tested. The script has been tested. And now you've got everything. And now you're auditioning the actors. And you're learning new things about this as you go through. So we were talking about this before. And I said, I think everybody who listens to our podcast would be fascinated with what it looks like. You, not the youngest person who has ever created a Broadway play. Not. And so you're going through this right now. You're going through the day-by-day -day steps of actually making sure that the right actors are in the right place for the right characters. Well, that's right. And first of all, I am grateful for the support from you and Babs, both emotional and financial. 
And I remember when we talked at lunch and you had already read this script and I think you saw the video from the 29 hour, the first iteration of it, you had said that we want to support your effort. And I said, that's great. Now there's two kinds of support. Both feel good, but only one moves the project forward. (laughs) And uh, you laughed and said, no, we want to write a check. Mm -hmm. And then when we did another raise, again, you and Babs were kind enough to up your ante and involvement in it, which was a great show of faith. And, you know, I'm extremely grateful for that, too. It's been an amazing process and still early in it. It's interesting because, you know, I believe everything you do informs everything else you do. And so on some levels, it's very similar to what I've been doing in terms of doing films and commercials and things like that, where you've got to get the creative crew together. You've got to have a concept and you've got to have the right people in front of the camera and all of that. The detail that it takes when you're getting into a play, full up play, and the number of moving parts is magnified tremendously. And the difference between a play and a movie, and this is kind of an interesting distinction, is in movies, the writer, unless they're a writer-producer or writer-director, like an Aaron Sorkin or Quentin Tarantino, the writers are pretty disposable. And the final immutable object, as it's called legally, is the finished film. So that's not uncommon for films to go through a lot of different writers. A play... Every performance is different. And there can be multiple companies going on at the same time if the play is successful. So the immutable object for a play is the script. As a result, the playwright has creative control, ultimate okay on casting, on all the hires, on all of that stuff. So it was an interesting legal distinction that I learned early on in the process. It was quite fascinating. But in many ways, plays are a startup. Mm -hmm. It's an entrepreneurial startup. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a business, if you will, that I want to give birth to and bring to life and scale and all of those things. And like any business, you know, it takes an idea that you can clearly communicate and it takes money. Mm -hmm you know, and trying to attract the financing for it and so on. So there's a lot of similar dynamics that go on. People think of them as very, very different. And in many ways, they're not. You know, I think that all of the things that are challenges I have to meet in creating the play, from getting financing to finding the complementary talents who are my administration, if you will, the executive producer, the general management, to the creative team to put together who's off stage, but then all of the talent that is going to be on stage. Mm-hmm. But you've got that in strategic coach and every business has that. Mm-hmm. Does that similarity resonate with you? I think it does. One of the things that I've discovered to a depth that I never realized before is that we have a core team that's been I would say 20, 25 of our team members who have been with us more than 20 years, the 
first ones are just crossing 30 right now. And then we have more than half of our 120 team members is worldwide because we're in three countries, have more than 10 years experience, more than 50% have 10 years experience. And I've never appreciated just the institutional wisdom that comes along with people being really good at what they do, but being involved in teamwork problem solving for years and decades. And they have this buildup that when there are surprises, they just know how to respond in a fairly straightforward way. I mean, there's no panic, there's no emotional upset. They say, okay, we we thought this was gonna happen. And this is happening significantly right now because we're going back to the possibility of in-person workshops having been shut down for a year and a half. And we have people coming from different jurisdictions. The different jurisdictions have different rules. If you leave the jurisdiction and you come back, we have live workshops in Canada. We have live workshops in Chicago. We'll be opening in Los Angeles. We've already started Vancouver. We had London, England. And in every case, you know, you have different rules. You have different things that could suddenly interrupt what you do. So we've worked out about six or seven different possibilities on how clients, depending on their situation, And I said, you know, we should really put this together. I said, I got a feeling that this isn't the last global disruption that's going to happen to us, you know, coming in. And my sense is, I was going to ask you this question. You're creative team, so you've got your company administrative people, and they've done this before. But you also have your producer, you have your lighting person, you have your costume person, you have your set designer, you have your choreographer, you have your musical director, and all these. And I bet you're really appreciating the fact that this isn't the first time that they've done this. That's right. Well, the casting, the person who does the casting, you know, the it's like jury selection, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> to a certain extent, you know, because you have to think through the entire, you know, life of the production, you know, how the production starts off. You have to think about that you're starting outside of what the hope for destination is, New York City, but you're not starting there. And, you know, all the theater professions have had a huge, huge disruption to their life. And lots of new things are forming in competition with you. Lots of new things are starting up and the mood has shifted about what people are looking for. And all this has to be taken into consideration. So in terms of what you thought was going to happen when you first got the idea that this might be a play and what you know now, what's the, (laughs) what are the dimensions that you were missing in the first place? (laughs) How many days do we have for this conversation? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think one of the essential aspects that I really had to, I had to realize quite early is knowing what I don't know. And I think that that's really critical. And knowing and having spoken at so many entrepreneurial groups and so on that, you know, young entrepreneurs tend to think they know everything. So therefore they don't delegate. They also, for various reasons, for money, for ego, for whatever. Initially, when I thought of doing the play, like we did just a small table read in my office 
worked with a casting agency and there was only about 10 of us in the room listening, but I, you know, rehearsed with the actors for a few hours and there's not a whole lot you can do in a few hours and giving notes, but I gave some, had good actors. And I was thinking that I wanted to direct the play because I know how to do dramatic direction. I've done that, you know, for years, but do I know stage blocking? No. Do I know how to merge seamlessly music with the dramatic parts of the play, how to structure the rehearsal process, all these things? No. And importantly, is anybody going to invest in me? It's enough being invested in as a first-time playwright. Is anybody going to invest in me as a first-time playwright plus director? No, probably not. So I realized what I didn't know, which was substantial. And I also realized what would give the project a much better chance. And that would be to have an established, very knowledgeable, very talented director at my side. And that that person who turned out being Sheldon Epps, who is a fantastic director, extremely respected and established, you know, having him by my side, I could do two things. One is have somebody who satisfies all the criteria when you're looking at this package. And he knows all these things I don't know. So there's a complementary fit of what we do. And it gives me the opportunity to learn by observing what a theater director does, how a show is blocked, how you approach all these different things. And, you know, if anything, and I think, Dan, you and I share this, as I get older, I'm more interested in learning. Mm -hmm. And I've always been interested in learning. But it's not like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. No, I want to deal with that. I want to see that. I want to learn that. I want to know that. And that's what's really exciting. And so when you work with people who know what they're doing and you have the wisdom to not only know, but admit what you don't know, mm -hmm. that's, I think, critically important. We have some background connections. We're both from Northern Ohio, sort of, you know, blue collar. You were Akron Canton area, which was a huge part of the automobile industry, especially in the 1940s and 1950s. We're both in our 70s and we have a sense of, you know, the history of the last 60 or 70 years in the United States. And the thing that impressed me most, and you gave Babs and me the opportunity, we were your guests at the, what are called the workshops, where there's the first run through with full cast, with studio musicians come in, session musicians. You had the choreographer there, the director and everybody, and an audience, you know, under strict compliance rules, what you can do and what you can't do. I got the sense of going through the play twice, evening performance and an afternoon performance. And I said, you know, I think the timing is absolutely perfect for this particular script and this particular spotlight on a particular American star, Lloyd Price. And it has to do with the general polarization, political polarization, the racial tensions that are going on right now. And fortunately, 
I had a chance to talk for a few minutes with Lloyd Price. He was backstage in his 80s, and unfortunately, he died before the play is going to come on. But it turned out that we were both in the U.S. Army, we were both in South Korea, and we were both in the same entertainment division, except I was 10 years after him. And the thing that was that the way the play ends, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets here, is despite the extraordinary opposition he had, as any, you know, musician is going to have early in his career, but especially where he grew up, you know, and this is before there was any white audience for black entertainers, especially rock and roll entertainers. And, you know, all the dark side of the entertainment industry, the dark side of the music industry, he seemed to have transcended that as an individual. And my sense is that that comes across very, very clearly in the play, that there's this transcendence, there's a transformation that takes place. My feeling is you don't have a hit unless you have transformation, but it just seems to me that the timing for this is just perfect. And who knows, the delay because of COVID and the pandemic, it may turn out to have increased the timeliness of it. Yeah, I think there's the most common thing that I hear, but this was also right after the workshop, which was before we knew COVID was going to hit, was the timing is perfect because of the tensions that you just mentioned. And so this is a story about triumph. And it's also a story about entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. because Lloyd was the first musician of any color to start his own label. Plus, he was the first black person to open up a nightclub below Harlem in Midtown. Those were all entrepreneurial acts. How that affects the play, however, is kind of interesting because there are now, I believe, seven plays that are going to be opening up in the first quarter or so of 22. And those seven plays have predominantly, if not all, black casts. So the talent pool hasn't grown to meet that demand yet. I think it's a great thing that it's happening, but it makes everything a bit tougher. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes it more unpredictable. That's right. That's right. I mean, the talent may be there, but there wasn't the opportunity and the opportunity. That's right. There's two ways of looking at that. Yeah, yeah well, it's dealing with a more competitive landscape Yeah. on one hand. And what that means is, for instance, when you're opening up a show out of town, out of New York, it's very different than when you're opening up or doing a play in New York. So during our workshop, although the actors aren't paid all that much for the workshop, we had all top talent because we could work around if they had an audition. You know, we could work around the scheduling and all of that sort of thing of rehearsals. And nobody had any conflicts or we couldn't accommodate anything if that conflict was during a performance of which there were only two. But you could deal with that. When actors are required to be out of town, and this is true for all actors, this has nothing to do with race. It's for all actors being out of town when you're an A-level performer you're then taking yourself out of play, most likely, for that period of time you're out of town. And then we deal with the scarcity because on one hand, there's a lot more opportunity, which is fantastic. But since the talent pool hasn't grown yet, there's a scarcity there and a higher competitive edge going on. But what we're finding is people want to be involved telling this story. Mm -hmm. And that's the real 
critical thing Mm -hmm. because that's also true for the creative team yet they're all there and have been there you know and Sheldon who was there since the 29 hour and Shelton our musical director so it's a really interesting time when culture is shifting so the casting it's also interesting because it's like staffing a company you know it's like putting together the right mix of people so that your company works well because you have complementary talents going on that can all work together to a greater end and that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I believe that, you know, theater and movie making, anything in the entertainment field is perhaps one of the greatest examples of entrepreneurism that there is on the planet. In many ways, it's more chancy than ordinary entrepreneurism in the sense that 90% of actors spend 90% of their career going to auditions <laughs> as opposed to performing. <laughs> yeah. So it's a clear field, it's a clear career that your heart has to be quite a bit bigger than your expectations of reward. Yeah, it does. And I think that it's a few things. You're correct, but it's also like Anybody who's done any long distance running, you know, if you think, oh, my God, I've got to run this entire marathon. I've never run a marathon, but I've trained two or three different times with people who were running the marathon, but I couldn't because of my schedule. And so when we're doing a long run over the weekend and we decide to run, we're going to do an 18 mile run. As you start off, you think, what am I doing? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. but if along the course, you've got certain markers And so you break up that big journey into a bunch of different steps. So instead of looking at the overwhelming landscape in front of you, you've got these thresholds. And as you cross them, you can look at what you've accomplished and you can continue to move forward. And that distance closes as you move more forward across other thresholds. And there are so many things to do that I think the task can become overwhelming Mm -hmm. unless you learn how to do that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we have some really long projects that are like book projects that where I have veteran people actually conducting a lot of the process and doing a lot of the process. There's different time periods that repeat themselves, and I try to conduct myself by bite-sized time periods, you know, two or three days. This is a workshop week. I've got two or three things Try to learn as much as you can that contributes to the next time period. Quite frankly, you've been the connection that Babs and I have to the experience that you're going through. And I have to tell you, it's been deeply satisfying to me. Thank you. When a part of my life that was left behind 50 years ago, I get to revisit right now two things. It's been a pleasure kind of feeling in partnership with you, but it's such a great project. The project is so exciting. It's not just a Broadway play. It's not just that. It's a deeply emotional, deeply profound project that you've created here. You know, we're really going to put the word out in the Philadelphia area, you know, 200 miles, and just put dates in the calendar. What we're doing is just deciding you know exactly when the dates are that we can be there for the first three weeks and then to do this. But I want to tell you, this has been a high point of my life, mm. actually being involved in this. Well, thank you. 
Thank you very much. You know, I'm not even sure how to articulate this, but what you're talking about in terms of that, you know, the heart or the passion and so on that goes into it. On one hand, there's a real business here, you know, that I have to raise money, that I have to pay my executive producer, pay my general manager, pay the accountant, you know, just like a regular business. And then it's, you know, raising the money to not only pay for those, but allow us to grow just like you would any business. One of the things that I have problems with in terms of like other entrepreneurs at times when I go to some of these conferences and so on, is these, we know better. It's not easy. (laughs) You know, there are challenges. So I think a lot of people operate under the misunderstanding that somehow, oh, I own my own business. I can do whatever I want whenever I want. And, you know, no, I don't know entrepreneurs that don't work harder (laughs) than everybody else. But I think what's really important that can fuel that, whether you're growing a business or whether you're getting a play off the ground, is that you understand why you're doing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm doing this in the first place is exactly what you just said. And the feeling, which deeply touches me, that you've had going through this process. And I think you could tell the joy I had in taking you and Babs into the rehearsal. And when you saw the sound check and I seen you just lighting up, watching this stuff, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's a blast. And the thing that separates the play for me from other businesses, because a lot of the protocols are the same thing, is I actually feel that this is an opportunity to say something that's going to have an emotional resonance with people. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I want to do something that is going to create the feeling in others yes. that I have when I see something that greatly impacts me. Mm-hmm. And that takes it to me out of the realm of just straight business and, oh, I'm so happy my product is selling. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, gives it for me what is a more satisfying reach. Mm-hmm. I had uh, a devious purpose for this particular podcast because we're going to <laughs> get this and we're going to send it out to everybody in Strategic Coach who will be interested in doing it and we'll... And we'll do a little add-on and give them the dates and how they can order tickets. You know, some of them, you know, will coincide with Babs and me actually being there. And we hope it has a long run because then it'll be available, you know, in the coming years. I got a feeling that it would be something that would lend itself very, very much to having other productions going with the main production. I think you've got the packaging skills from a long career in the fashion industry and in the packaging industry that you know how to put together a product that does exactly what it's supposed to do if it's just a one-off. But I think you also have a sense of what it would look like if it multiplied itself and was out and gave enormous numbers of entertainers uh, an opportunity to experience this, but also multiplier number of audiences to actually appreciate this. So this is a big deal. You've done a big deal here. <laughs> well, thank you. I think that it's also interesting in putting something like this together when I said that it's it's not like it is building a business. And when you're casting, it is like putting together the right people. I think that the audience might find this interesting is once you cross a certain talent threshold, 
and that we feel you are good enough to be considered for this part. Just like if you were hiring a marketing director or, you know, business development or whatever, they may be good for that. But then how do they fit into the whole mosaic of the people that you have? Mm-hmm. I, I remember I was working with an actor once who shall remain nameless in this, but was a difficult person to deal with. And so when I was saying that at one point, somebody who knew him, he said, there's a reason he does only one man shows, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so when you cross the qualification threshold in a business or when you cross that talent threshold in casting a play, then you have to think about how well does this work with others? Yeah. Not just is there the psychology there or that fit. Do they play well with others? Right. But also, yeah. do they make a credible couple? Does mm-hmm. young Lloyd... Everybody knows it's not actually young Lloyd or actually older Lloyd, but, you know, there's got to be some physical connection between those two characters, Mm -hmm. you know, that you can go with it. You know, (laughs) we were casting for young Lloyd and some of the new people that came in through the agency were like six, three and six, four. I said, did he go to Korea and have four vertebrae removed? I mean, you know, you can't have them four inches taller than the other Lloyd. Yeah. But it's also, you know, finding those physical fits, you know, so that it's credible in terms of them working together. Could this be both young Lloyd's girlfriend and older Lloyd's wife? So you have to find, since it's the same actress, Can you find someone, and you can enhance through makeup and through wig and wardrobe and so on, but can you make that a credible Mm -hmm. transition so that people will buy that? And that's an interesting thing, too, to also have to deal with, because it may disqualify people you really liked, but since there's a ripple effect to seven other characters, you've got to go in that direction, even though you might like to go in that direction. You know, it's just an interesting puzzle. Yeah. The other thing about theater that's different from movies or television is that every performance has to be a complete take. That's right. That's right. You can't say, wait, wait, can we do that again? No, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Not to mention, and it's funny because I was thinking of it as you were talking about the different strategic coach groups that are around, and you're not at all those different things that happen. It's like the road company, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Strategic coach, just like a play, you've got some touring companies, you know, and it's got to be the right people that are representing faithfully Mm -hmm. what strategic coach is. Mm -hmm. Well, my hope and dream is that we get to the point where we're going to have multiple companies for personality. And there's got to be a consistency of purpose and execution in that. Yeah. You know, because unlike a movie, you can make an infinite number of prints and stream it and have it at theaters and all of that. Well, the other thing is, you know, entrepreneurism. And I think that what we're talking about here, the entertainment form of entrepreneurism consists of guesses and bets, you know, that basically it's a guess that I've got something here that I think might really, really, you know, ring a bell with a lot of people. And then you make a bet on it. You know, and the spectrum of people who 
do the kind of work that you're doing and have created the type of project you are. There's good guessers and bad guessers. There's good betters and bad betters. The latter are a lot more numerous than the former. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Well, thanks a lot because we have an editor waiting to get this particular episode in place. And we're going to send this out now and use this as part of our pushing our part of our audience to your theater. So. I really appreciate this. Well, I appreciate that from you. This is a very nice surprise to get, and thank you so much. I'm very grateful for that. And as always, great talking to you. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for joining us today on our show, Anything and Everything. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. For more about me and my work, visit acreativecareer.com and madoffproductions.com. To learn more about Dan and Strategic Coach, visit strategiccoach.com.